I want to take you to a narrative of scripture today that I believe is going to touch your heart, challenge your heart, motivate your heart. It's a passage of scripture that is in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. <laughs> that never gets old. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I think it was better the first time. I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Let me read for you a few verses. I'm going to try to read through all 17 verses without preaching through it. I'm glad y'all know me by now. But let's start this thing off. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Early in the morning. Somebody say early in the morning. Any of you in here morning people, you're just, you're just a morning person. Raise your hand. I'm, you're like a morning person. No, y'all ain't because y'all have been at the first service. <laughs> Some of y'all are pointing at the person next to you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. I just, I, I need to stop right there. Jason, I, I cannot rearrange God's word, add to God's word, take away anything from God's word. But I almost wish that I could read that verse in a different way. I wish I could change one word instead of move out from your position, it would be move out from your condition. And follow the Lord. Because when you understand the history of this verse and the context in which it is given, the nation of Israel has been in bondage for 400 years and then they've been wandering in the desert for another 40 plus years and therefore they have taken on what the desert looks like. They have made it their condition when it's time for them to take on a new position. It's time for them to begin to walk in the favor that God has for them. Somebody say amen. That'll preach. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Where am I at here? So it says, verse 4, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. It just means to separate yourself. Just get ready spiritually for what God's about to do. Verse 6, Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark of the covenant, pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. I got to stop right here just for a second. Because... What I notice about this verse of scripture is that God is about to give to Joshua a position of influence. But the influence that he's giving to Joshua did not come until after Joshua was committed to intimacy. Notice that in verse 5, he's committed to be intimate with the Lord. And then in verse 7, God is beginning to give to him influence. I need you to grab hold of this because this will preach. Influence always follows intimacy. 
Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good because we could close the Bible up right there and go home. That was good enough. Let's keep reading. We'll come back to that thought in a few minutes. Verse 8, tell the priest who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know. He's speaking to the knowledge that they'll have. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he certainly will drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the, all the other ites. <laughs> Seek the ark, see the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all of the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Visualize that. Verse 14, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. Let me just stop right there. Anytime that I've ever preached this narrative of scripture, I've preached it from every different nuance that I can think of. Every different thought, every different angle, every different position, whether it's a historical position, a theological position, a, a spiritual position. I've tried to look at this narrative of scripture in a way that the context of the story would speak to you. I've preached it every way. What I have noticed this week is something that I have never, ever noticed in this narrative of scripture. And that's what I want to share with you today. It's not that I hadn't noticed it as much as I've just kind of read over it. it. It became obvious to me every time I read it. But this week it enlightened something in my spirit that I think we need to understand. You see, it's easy for us to focus on the miraculous nature of this miracle because it is a miracle. It is a miracle because here you have the nation of Israel who has been oppressed for 400 years. They lived in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They went into the desert and stayed for a touch over 40 years. And now the thing that is separating them from a promise that God gave to them hundreds of years ago is a river. Not just any river, but the Jordan River. The Jordan River carries with it great symbolism. The Jordan River carries with it a thought of, of the beginning of something new, a new birth, freedom, salvation. If you study the historical context of the Jordan, you'll see that it means all of those things. Freedom, salvation, breakthrough, newness, wholeness. Certainly, they're leaving what was. And now they're going into what is, and the thing that is separating them from what God has for them is the Jordan River. Now, the miraculous nature of what God is about to do becomes obvious to us because we read this story in retrospect, Stan. We know what happened in the story. The problem is the people of Israel were living it in real time. 
And it just does not make sense, Jonathan, to try to cross the River Jordan at this time. Why? Because it is at flood stage. Why in the world, if God has caused us to be in this desert, if you will, for 40 years, and he now is taking us into what is, why is he taking us in the most difficult time? Freedom is just ahead. You can see it. But yet here is this problem of the Jordan River at flood stage. Freedom on the other side, but the flood stage. And the last step, I'm trying to set up the title for today, the last step that God wants them to make before they enter freedom really doesn't make sense. It's the last step, and he's asking them to step into the water. Are you ready for the title? You can't get through without stepping in. I need you to look at your neighbor and say, you can't get through without stepping in. With a little more enthusiasm, you can't get through without stepping in. It will make a lot more sense as we go through this narrative today, but let me pause right there because there's a lot of stuff happening in this passage of Scripture that I need to highlight before we get back to my thought. One, this is really the first participation miracle recorded for the people of Israel. Why? Because this is something that God has promised them, but in order for them to have the promise fulfilled in their lives, they've got to do something. It's a participation miracle. I want you to follow the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to keep your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God, and I want you to step foot into the raging river, and when you do, so we see the participation miracle. But there's something else that I see in this passage of Scripture that's always been there but really jumps out at me. And that is there is this incredible sense of community in this passage of Scripture. Somebody say community starts here. This incredible sense of community because there is such unity in the community when you read this story. You don't see anyone highlighting, having a dissertation about articulating any of the chaos that had to be present. All you see is this incredible miracle that took place and this community, this unity, this community of unity. And therefore they were able to accomplish the very thing that God is trying to do in their lives. And here's why I know that. Because... There were roughly 2 million people or so, historians think, that were crossing out of the desert and going into the promised land following the Ark of the Covenant. 2 million people. Don't you know that there had to be some chaos if there were 2 million people? Hang on a second. Let me just kind of prove to you what I'm talking about. I don't want to take these three rows right here. I'm sorry that you sat in these three rows, but I'm going to do something with you. My wife's looking at me like, uh-uh, uh-uh, oh yeah, yeah, you're bottling you, told here. Here's what I need you to do. I, I, want the, I want the third row to go to the first row. I want the first row to go to the third row. 
I, I, I want, I want, no, 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 no. I, I'll tell you what I want to do. You see the chaos here? I want the third row to go to the second row, the second row to go to the first row, and the first row to go to the third row. Do you remember what I said? All right, go, go ahead and do it. Kind of. See? Chaotic. You see what I'm saying? All right, hold on a second. Now I want the first row to go to the second row, the second row to go to the first row, the first row to go to the third row. Uh. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, that's a little confusion here. Okay, so here's what I want you to do now. I want you to go back to where you started. Do y'all see the chaos? And we're talking about a few people. And I know right now some of them are saying, well, no, nah, because you're the one that did this. No, 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 no. Imagine this drill happening with two million people. Two million people. But yet nowhere in the narrative does it represent or reference any chaos. Nowhere. All you see is this incredible miracle that takes place. They accomplish this because there's unity in the community. But then there's this third thought. Where the enemy, I'm not saying that the enemy has the river at flood stage, but sometimes the enemy puts a flood stage in our lives. Sometimes the enemy will use what you see to cause you to forget what it is God said. Did you notice how some of them forgot which row I said to go to? The enemy will cause you to forget what God said based upon what you see. There will be times in life where you're trying to do what it is that God wants you to do, but the enemy will get in your field of vision with something that's in the flood stage, and all of a sudden, you've forgotten the word that God gave you. It's been usurped out of your heart. You don't know what to do or how to do it, and the flood stage may not be a body of water. The flood stage could be the flood stage of insecurity, the flood stage of a messed up relationship, the flood stage of a financial disaster, the flood stage of, of joblessness, the flood stage of whatever. And so many times the enemy will cause us to lose focus of what it is that God said. All because of what we see seems to be overwhelming in that moment. You see, there will be times in your journey, I need somebody to hear this, there will be times in your journey that you have to listen to your spirit rather than give in to what you see. Did you hear me? There will be times in your journey in life that you're going to have to listen to your spirit rather than give in to what you see because what you see contradicts what's in your spirit. What you see contradicts what God said. What you see seems to be the most difficult thing. Why would God send us in this season? Why didn't he wait until later on when the river's not at flood stage, when the river's a lot more narrow, it's not treacherous, it's not deep, it's not flowing fast. There will be times in your life when what you see see contradicts what he said and you got to make sure that your spirit is in tune with what God has said unity in the community 
The Bible says forsake not assembling together with yourself with other believers. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verses 40 through 42, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, and to fellowship. They had everything in common, and they made sure that everyone's needs were met because they gave to one another if there was a need. You see, but sometimes there's a flood stage in our life. Sometimes the flood stage will cause us to forget that God has asked us to be in unity, in community. And the unity in the community, I need you to grab this, is what enables us to get through the flood stage. But sometimes God will just throw some stuff your way. Anybody, or the enemy will throw some stuff your way. You know what I'm saying? Like the enemy just wants to pick on you all the time. Anybody ever feel like the enemy's just like picking on you all the time? And you're like, I wish the enemy would go somewhere else and pick on somebody else. In fact, I, there are sometimes I'm like, okay, enemy, I got a list for you. Go pick on these people. <laughs> Don't act like y'all ain't never had that thought now. Don't get all sanctified up in here and say, I ain't never had that thought. No, you want me to go at the flood stage, God? Come on. That doesn't make any sense. And sometimes, to be honest with you, in the moment, it just really makes more sense to stay on this side of the river than to try to deal with that mess. Sometimes it just makes more sense just to hang out right here in the middle of the dryness of the desert rather than to try to go into the promise because of the unknown rapids in that river and what it will do. Sometimes it's just easier to hang out in the chaos rather than confront the issue that's bringing about the chaos. Woo! Sometimes I wrote this this morning. Settling for the desert because of what you see will never yield what fighting for freedom at the flood stage will. Let me say it again. I need you to get this. Settling for the desert because of what you see will never yield what fighting for the freedom at the flood stage will. Let me take it one step further. Giving in to the dynamics of what you see never produces progress in what you hope for. Whew, that's good. First service is like, whew, revival, come on, let's go. Why? Because the flood stage, it's got us so insecure. It's got us so full of fear. It's got us so full of, of identifying the issues, the inadequacies, the problems, the situations that we miss out on who it is that God is and what it is that God can do. You see, sometimes I think we look at the flood and we forget who God is. Sometimes I think we look at what's happening in our lives and we forget how powerful our God is. You see, when your God begins to speak, mountains move. When your God speaks, demons will begin to tremble. When your God speaks, the flood will stop and the waters will back up upstream. Why is it that we allow the flood stage to keep us from remembering how big our God is? Think about this with me for a moment. If you take everything that God has done throughout Scripture... And you look at whatever your situation is, how big it is. Why don't you tell God how small he is in comparison to your situation? 
and let's just see how that works for you. That's where the nation of Israel is. Joshua says, I, 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 it's time for us to go. I want you to follow the ark of, of, of the covenant. And sometimes it just seems to be easier to stay where we're at. And, and then I had this thought. I had the thought about who we're listening to, the community that we listen to. You see, your ability to deal with the flood stage has a lot to do with the community that you are listening to. Your ability to deal with the flood stage has a lot to do with the community, Paul, that you are listening to. I need you to grab hold of this. Your ability to deal with the flood stage in your life has a lot to do with the community that you are listening to. Some of you have been told so many times something that contradicts scripture that you actually believe it now. Some of you have been told so many times even by people that you supposedly love you of what you can't do that you've settled for something that God never created you to settle for. Some of you are living a shell of who God wants you to be and you're wanting God to bless you where you are but yet the place that you are is not the place that he anointed your feet to go and you're wondering why you're not getting the breakthrough that God declared over your life. How do I know this? Because what happens in this story is the exact opposite of what happened in the story 40 years before. 40 years before, Moses is alive. 40 years before this story, Moses is alive. He gathers up 12 spies. He tells those 12 spies, I want you to go. They're at the same place. They just come into the desert. They just left all of the captivity, the, 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 the entrapment, the difficulties of, of being in bondage with Egypt for 400 years. And now they're going into the promised land. And so he says, we're here, guys. But before we can cross over this river, before we can go into this region, I want to send 12 spies. 12 spies, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell me and bring back to me the evidence that the land is incredible. Well, they go. And they stay there, they go around, and they look at everything for 40 days. And after 40 days, they come back. Two of the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody say, Joshua and Caleb. Two of those 12 spies said, it is incredible. Woo, you've got to see it, man. I just can't wait for you to see this, Moses. It, it, oh, it's off the chain. I mean, it's everything God ever said it was going to be. I mean, it's even more. It's better. Listen, God said a lot of stuff, and I envisioned it in my head the way it was going to be. But when I got there, the water was bluer. The fruit was bigger. The trees were taller. The land was greener. I mean, it exceeded my expectations. Fiving one another, Joshua and Caleb, like, woo! I see the land that I'm gonna get. And then 10 of them say, hey, not so fast. We can't take this land. We're way, we're way too few of us, way too many of them. We're way too small. They're way too big. We're not gonna do this. Not gonna do it. The Bible says those 10 spies went into the community and spread a negative word. Spread a negative word, and because of the negative word that they spread, they stayed in the desert for 40 years because they convinced the rest of the nation that they could not do it. 
fast forward 40 years, and now you have Joshua here standing before the people. Moses has now died. Joshua is leading the people, and Joshua says to the people, we're going into the promised land. It's the next opportunity. They've already had one opportunity 40 years before. Now, 40 years later, if you read the story, you'll see that we still have Joshua and Caleb. We still have the two spies that were like, we can do this. But we see absolutely no talk about the ten people who said, we can't. Do you know why? Because nobody remembers the naysayers. So the first thing Joshua says is, I got to make sure that the people can do what it is that God wants us to do. So what does he say in verse 5? He said, consecrate yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. Get yourself ready spiritually for the battle that's about to happen because this is a spiritual battle, guys. And God's about to do something amazing, but you got to consecrate yourself. You got to separate yourself from some things. You got to get your spirit ready for some things. You see, I see two different generations of people. Forty years before, they were saying, We can't do this. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we ain't no way we can do this. We ain't going to do it. We can't do it. Forty years into the future, now you've got these people that I can just see them the night before sitting around the campfire saying, guess what God's about to do? God's about to do something great. God's about to bless you. God's about to bless you. Oh, to tell the Joneses, Joneses way in the back. God's going to bring a blessing to us tomorrow. There, it's just a completely different atmosphere. A completely different community. Community 40 years before that was focused on what they couldn't do. And so, therefore, there was no unity in community. Now, you have this group of people who are lifting up one another, encouraging one another, believing God's about to do some amazing things. And then there's this destination thing. I've preached this passage of scripture before and I've said you've got to stay focused on the destination. Because so many times I think we allow the river, if you will, and the raging rapids, Kim, to take our eyes off of the destination. So our eyes are no longer, what does the Bible say? I look to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. So our eyes are no longer looking at what it is that God's promised. Rather, our eyes are now. And rather than being on wings of eagles and soaring like the eagle, we're oppressed and beaten up because our field of vision is not what God wants it to be. It's what the enemy is trying to get us to focus on. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. I've preached that, Donna. I have preached that. I have built sermons around that thought. But the more I look at this passage this week, I think sometimes we can be so focused on the destination that we lose focus of his presence. He said, keep your eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant. Keep your eyes fixed, if you will, on the presence of, of God. I think sometimes we can be so focused on the destination that we miss out. We lose focus of his presence. 
let me say it a different way. I think we can be so focused up getting there that we lose focus of how God wants to guide us right here. And how does there happen if you take your eyes off of what he's